Hello everybody, welcome to the Christian Bible Study Ministry Podcast, and as always, I want to start this program off with uh, by saying that I hope that everyone is blessed, and uh, certainly if you have any uh, prayer requests or needs, uh, uh, you don't have to tell them to me if you don't wish, but um, uh, every day I pray, you know, I pray for people, and uh, I do say that, uh, Lord, if I'm... Uh, if I'm forgetting anybody, it's certainly not intentional. So, uh, and I will hope that that uh, will cover pretty much you know anybody who's listening to this who has a prayer request. I know things can get really bad in life sometimes, and uh, uh, you know sometimes for some of us it might seem like death is just surrounding us. People are getting sick. You know, people are in the hospital, and people are just ill, and. Uh, just remember that no matter what happens, if you belong to him, he has you. And I know that uh, it doesn't take away all the difficulty, but it's still a fact. Uh, anyway, today I wanted to uh, I want to look at the differences between the old covenant and the new covenant, and we will be looking at uh, two different passages of the Bible here, Hebrews nine. The first uh, 15 verses of that, and then uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 45. And what I want to do here is show how uh, Jesus went much deeper with the new covenant. And basically what he did was he showed people the true meaning of the old covenant. And he did this by saying and ultimately doing uh, several things. And so we will look now at, uh, excuse me, hold on just a minute. Okay, we will start by reading these first 15 verses of Hebrews chapter 9. Now the first covenant had regulations for worship and also an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up, and its first room were the lampstand and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered Ark of the Covenant. This Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded and the stone tablets of the covenant. Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory overshadowing the atonement cover, but we cannot discuss these things in detail now. Verse 6. When everything had been arranged like this, the priest entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood which he offered for himself and, this, and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10 they are only a matter of food and drink and various ceremonial washings. 
external regulations applying until the time of the new order. Verse 11. I know this is a lot here, but we're going to do this. Uh, but when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect and more and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, it is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered him himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Uh, you know, so now we're going to explain this here. Uh, in, the old, in the Old Testament, you know, there was a tabernacle with all sorts of rules and regulations. Uh, the tabernacle was set up to remind people of the holiness of God. Only the high priest entered the inner room, and this was only once a year, and he always did so with blood. It is uh, interesting to note that the cherubim of the glory set over all of this, including uh, the stone tablets. To me, it's like a, it's a way of saying that God is over all of this. His glory overshadows everything. And maybe in a way it's saying, it was another way of saying or showing that uh, this system was meant to be temporary. You know, it's uh, because he was shining over, his glory was overshadowing it. So to me, it could be, it's like a way, it could be uh, one way of saying that this was not the permanent way that the Lord had intended for uh, sins to be uh, atoned for. That the priest had, you know, and then that the priest had to continually offer sacrifices showed it was insufficient and pointed to Christ. Uh, in the future, Christ entered with his own blood which truly cleanses us. You know, when he died on that cross, he entered into the temple because he was the sacrifice. He paid that sin debt for everybody by the shedding of his blood. He was the high priest who came into the innermost part of the temple with his own blood, the perfect blood, the, perfect, the blood from the perfect sacrifice. The man who had upheld every single facet of the law. No human being was ever capable of doing this. But Jesus did. He was the Lord God himself in the flesh. And so Christ, with his sacrifice, became the very thing that is able to cleanse us of the guilt. You know, our guilty consciences you know our sins are forgiven when we trust him accept him uh, as the son of God when we believe 
that he is exactly who he said he is. When we accept that, we receive a cleansing of guilt. Justification, you know, positionally speaking, as you know, theologic, you know, as theologians term it, uh, the sins that we all have, past, present, and future, at that point, are forgiven. Our consciences are clean from sin, the penalty of sin, those sins, the sins that are that were written in God's book. You know, the sins that every person has committed; those sins were erased. They were forgotten, never to be remembered. Pretty powerful. Pretty powerful. And so through this, when we sin now as Christians, you know, Jesus is our mediator. Just like the high priest was in the Old Testament, he is our mediator. He intercedes on our behalf. And so he is still, in a way, performing his function as high priest. I just have to stop for a moment there. You know, just think about that. You know, so the blood of the goats and all that stuff was not sufficient. It never was sufficient. It never would have been. But with Christ, we have... A mediator who was sufficient. The goats and bulls and the priests, they were not capable of being the mediator. Because, for one, the goats and all that, they were just animals. You know, they had no ability to forgive anything. Or to atone for anything. And um, the priest was just a mortal man. He would sin himself and then he would die and somebody else would have to take his spot. So again, this just, uh, it shows... The animal sacrifices and the temple regulations, all that was not sufficient to forgive anything. All of this was done away with and fulfilled with Jesus. You know, he you know, he fulfilled the feast too, the Passover for one thing. He showed the true purpose of the meaning and purpose of the Passover in his life and his sacrifice. He fulfilled those those feasts, he fulfilled the meaning of all the law. And we're going to pause here for just a second while uh, I get this next thing ready here. Okay, here we are. In uh, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 45, or excuse me, actually 30. Uh, my bad on that. Uh, and we're going to do this a little bit differently here. So um, we'll start reading in verse 21. You know, most of us have never, uh, excuse me again, I'm sorry. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Uh, you know, most of us have never killed anyone. You know, we've never murdered anybody. Uh, you know, so we're in the technical sense, you know, most of us are not murderers, but yet Jesus told us, whosoever hates his brother or sister is guilty and will be judged. The same applies to someone, 
uh, who uh, insults somebody, you know, uh, it's the hatred that's there that uh, that causes all of these things. Hatred is a it's the root cause of murder. You know, in order for somebody to kill somebody, they pretty much have to hate them, and when you insult somebody, you know, that is, you know, you have hate, you have hatred somewhere in your heart for that person. And he illuminated this. He kind of uh, took the wool off of people's eyes when he said this. He said that if you're angry, you're basically already a murderer. Pretty powerful. Because he was trying, he was telling people that anger is the root cause of this crime, murder. Go to verse 23 through 26 now. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in, into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Uh, you know, we should settle things with each other, you know, you know, between, you know, things between Christians should be settled between them by themselves, if at all possible, you know, because you don't want to drag the church into uh, the court, you know, because people are, you know, they know what you're Christians and they see you there arguing over something and that makes the church look bad. It makes your testimony look bad. And you're liable to find more mercy with the other person than what you would the legal system. The legal system, you know, it's going to look strictly from the point of the law and it's liable to show you no mercy at all. Whereas the person that you're having a problem with since you both belong to Christ, you could very well work out a much more satisfactory conclusion to your problem. Go down to verse 27 through 30. This is a good one here. You have heard this, that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. And it's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Wow. Pretty good. Pretty deep. That is pretty deep. Pretty deep stuff. And, uh... Well, you know what? We're going to go ahead and read down to verse 31 here, too. Um, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Uh, actual adultery begins in the heart. You know, if you're married, it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're a husband or a wife, you know, you, you might look at somebody who, you know, for physical reasons catches your eye. You might be going through a rough spot in your marriage and uh, you see somebody who is very pleasant to look at. You know, they have 
They seem to have a nice personality, whatever the case may be. And uh, things start to brew inside of you. This is where you run into danger here. Because if you do not cut that out, then you're very well liable to wind up committing adultery, you know, and uh, your marriage is going to be in jeopardy. What Jesus was telling people here, he was getting to the very root of the problem by saying that it all begins in the heart. This is the same thing he said with murder. You know, anger, you know, murder begins with anger in the heart. Adultery begins with lust in the heart. He said it is better for you to suffer a little bit and cut that part, whatever it is in your life that's causing you that problem, to cut it out and to be rid of it. And the point that I'm making with these two, uh, you know, with these uh, statements on divorce and murder is that Jesus took two of the, he took the Ten Commandments and went all the way to the very core of their meaning here. He told people, your problem is in your heart. If you take care of your heart, then you fulfill the Ten Commandments. You know, then you're not going to go commit adultery or wind up getting a, div a divorce because of adultery, you know, uh, adultery on your part anyway, because you wouldn't have done it. Um, so the point that I'm trying to make here is that all of this stuff... The Old Testament regulations, uh, these were things that uh, when Jesus said he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, he didn't uh, erase any of the laws, okay? None of the laws were erased. But what he did, he fulfilled the purpose of the law by his death and his resurrection. The law is still a, it's it's a, it's still a valuable thing for us to study today, and uh, for anybody who is not in Christ, they are under the law. You know they're trying to uh, keep the law, but you know they're not able to. They're not able to keep the law because you know if you've broken one, you've broken all of them, effect-wise. So. Uh, this is a pretty profound subject, don't you think? Again, Jesus said, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it when he was nailed to and hung from a cross. He fulfilled the law perfectly by that very act. And that, or that, that very act was the conclusion of his perfect fulfillment of the law. It was the last thing that he did in his physical life on this earth. He fulfilled the purpose of the law. And so for us today, as the purpose of the law has been fulfilled, Paul has said, I believe it's in Galatians, you know, that we were kept under a law kept under guard of the law until the dawning of the new uh, system. I know that's not exactly how he put it, but that's the gist of it. Um, so the law served its purpose. 
And now we are under the new law, the new covenant of Jesus Christ, you know, where we have liberty to do things. Um, you know, we, of course, must exercise restraint uh, in some cases. You know, if we know that some people, our brothers, are offended by certain things, which then of, in of themselves are not sinful, you know, then we need to restrain from it. So, and I know that there's a lot more that can be said about this, and I may very well wind up revisiting this in a later time uh, in further detail. And so, but I want to end this right now with a prayer. Dear Lord, Father, I pray that anybody listening to this, uh, I hope that they have gained some wisdom and in, in insight into the nature of the law and, the new, and your law, the law of Christ. You know, there's the old law, the law of Moses, and the new law, which is your law, the law of Christ. And so I pray that if anybody has been having trouble in their lives because of this issue, I pray that uh, this would help them to uh, get it resolved. And if there's anybody there who is not, uh, does not belong to you, who does not know Jesus Christ, I pray that they would come to accept you now. Because as you say, today is the day of salvation. So I pray that anybody here uh, who is listening to this that is lost will, will uh, uh, yield to you if you're prompting them to accept Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen.